There's a story inside every smoke shop, with every cigar, and with every person. Come be a part of the cigar lifestyle at Boveda. This is Box Press. Welcome to another episode of Box Press. I'm your host, Rob Gagne. I'm live at PCA 2022, and I finally get the opportunity to sit down with Dion from Illusion. Dion, thank you for sitting down with me. If people don't know you, which I would be hard pressed to say that they don't. Sure. You started in retail, you started to make cigars. Yep. But the cool thing about you is that your palate is second to none. There's this crazy palette that you have, and I've heard a story about it. And in fact, a story about it has been dropped on Box Press before. Did you watch the episode with Eric Espinoza? I did. And uh, that's a true story. So a lot of that was by happenstance. A lot of that was by luck. Look, let me, let me qualify uh, palette, okay? So... Everybody inherently has good taste, right? Everybody knows something that tastes really good. Um, You know, I've said it time and again, I could put three bottles of wine out in front of you, something that really special that I wanted to open up at a party and then then two others. Uh, Invariably, you will have guests come up and sample or drink the wine and they will gravitate to that one special bottle that I put out. So the question is, isn't of, you know, having good taste or a good palate or be able being able to discern you know flavors and this or that or whatever we all have that subconsciously in us so what I tried to do was um, I said okay well this tastes good why does it taste good and that's what really piqued my curiosity so I kind of started going through blends and back engineering if you will uh, looking at blends and okay so why do people gravitate to this blend why do they like oh well it's you know Corojo type tobacco it has a little more sweetness to it it has a little more aromatics people tend to gravitate to uh, sweeter things I think Uh, goes all the way back to the caveman days when uh, caveman would pick a berry sweet means safe and bitter usually means bad or poisonous or something. So it's it's something that has been. I didn't know that. Yeah, something that's I didn't kind think, of like. Well, I didn't think about it that way. Yeah. So caveman, sweet, good, bitter, bad. Yeah. Could be right. poison. Could be poisonous, right? So, um, that's kind of the impetus of what where you know every I think everything started as far as me wanting and trying to learn about blending and also being around the uh, right people at the right time I mean a a lot of it is just you know like you said before right place right time and uh, when I met Eduardo Fernandez when he had just recently uh, purchased uh, Tabacalera Tropical which was owned by I believe uh, Pedro Martin at the time and he inherited all these beautiful fields and lands we had carried some of the tobaccos you know in, in cigar form you know, in my shop way back in the day in college when I uh, had worked part-time. So You worked part-time as well in college? <clears throat> yeah, per- worked part-time. Uh, so did in, I. Yeah, in, in a cigar store. So It's a lot of fun. Uh, Pete Johnson actually introduced me. I, w- I went on a trip to uh, uh, 8th Street in Miami and hung out with him at uh, the Miami factory at my father. And he introduced me to Paul Palmer, which in turn introduced me to uh, Eduardo Fernandez. And he said, well, you know, why don't you come out to uh, Nicaragua? 
and uh, you know check out uh, you know our operation. So I did, and I and I sat down with him, and I said, you know, Paul, Eduardo, I go, you guys have really, really unique tobaccos here, and I said, there, I I I know you guys have some you know products in the market that were you that were brought along with the sale, but I said I really think that we can go to the next level. And I said, you know, kind of being a retailer and having my pulse on, on 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 uh, what's going on out there, I think we can really put something together and uh, make it uh, make yeah, it successful in the market. Because you knew what people were smoking. Right. So uh, the, 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 the group of uh, people that he brought you know, from Cuba over there to oversee us, Farms Arsenio Ramos, Jacinto, Iglesias, uh, Chandito, you know, to really oversee the fields to get them where they needed to be because, you know, right. Eduardo back at the time was really trying to wrap his head around uh, uh, tobacco and he really really brought great minds and great people in that knew exactly what to do so uh, guys like Arsenio they really were uh, Criollo centric and they really loved Criollo tobaccos and uh, although it was a, a delicious tobacco to me it was kind of missing something right so it was missing like that uh, almost like that sweetness that we were talking about earlier so, you know, they were putting together some blends and I was sitting there and I'm like, you know, these just kind of aren't jiving with me. They were kind of like linear one dimensional. And then I said, you know, do we have any uh, sweeter tobaccos at our disposal? Like, well, yeah, you know, we have some tobacco that uh, we grew up in Jalapa and it's Corojo tobacco, but we really don't use a lot of it in our blends. So we started incorporating some of those components in, into uh, the uh, initial blends that we were putting together and then it just all clicked. It was just just beautiful the jalapa was the round. sweetness that you yeah needed. it really was and not that you know to say that you can't get sweetness out of uh, other other tobaccos right. you can um but it was just this particular type of upfront palate sweetness uh and also in the old factory that just really brought everything in focus and really brought everything together so, so just that's a real quick question yeah. for me to understand you had the blend and it was it was good I guess I don't know how to really phrase it up where it was like, you know, like you had a bass, you had a mid, and then you had a high tone. Yes. Like music. Yeah. And so what you were missing is possibly like the high tone, like the sweetness. Yeah, like yeah, to say it yeah, just the like, yeah, just the, to So to make a better off. song. Yeah, right. So you the had whip like cream, a good song. The whipped cream, the cherry on the Sunday, right? It's okay. like, it's it almost. just rounded it all out. Exactly. And, and, and a good phrase I use all the time too is Michael Cusano way back in the day. You know, you have peanut butter and jelly. You can't eat a jelly sandwich by itself. You can't eat a peanut butter sandwich by itself because, you know, it dries out your mouth. You got to have, when you got, when you have peanut butter, you got to have the jelly. So that's what it was like. It was like you had right. the peanut butter, no jelly. Right, exactly. So and you had the jelly, and, and now we're and now the we're going. And the Corojo was the jelly. So that's what brought it together. Uh, I came out with uh, initially six sizes, which was Illusioni cigars, and that's when my uh, Corona Gorda uh, got number seven cigar in the World Cigar Aficionado. So then they kind of, you know, looked at each other and they're like, "Well, you know, maybe this gringo knows what he's talking about." <laughs> I was kind of going out on a limb too, you know. I mean, I'm like, "Well." Uh, I just I, I brought what knowledge that, that I had right. and in turn I gleaned knowledge off them so it really became an exchange of information and an right. exchange of knowledge I, everyone's I taught them, working together for the same yes. greater good yeah I I, I, I I brought them knowledge from the front end of the business they brought me knowledge from the back it's end of the business Dion, Dion gets all the credit Right. It's everybody working together. Right. And and, and took that's this it. it cigar comes down, it, to the level right. that it needed to be at. Yep. And it comes down to a team 
and uh, a, a team effort. But really, what what was great about that was they pretty much after then, you know, they gave me carte blanche over the entire you know operation. And you kind of uh, proved yourself with the cigar aficionado. Yeah, ranking. so they just they just let me jump into it. You know, and, why and is it that cigar aficionado top twenty five is kind of that that clout? It gets you that clout. Is it because it has just a, a broad uh, audience? Then that actually validates that this is really good. You know, I'm not too sure. I mean, it's it's that old adage. You know, uh, opinions are like. Can I say assholes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one, right? So. But is it an opinion? <laughs> it's it's. It's a calculated opinion. It's an educated opinion. And I think so, there's some rigor there because, like, you're giving that cigar that you blended to multiple people who yeah. know. I, I, you could call them experts, but let's just call them cigar smokers. Right. That could discern whether or not this is a well-blended cigar. Right. So if that's the case, then did, did it really fall to an opinion or did it fall to... Ultimately, it fell on my shoulders, right? Because I was the one smoking it. I was the one that was, uh, you know, doing it. So really, it was it was on my shoulders, really, to succeed or fail, what it right. was going to do. But it was the most, I think, like educated thing at the time that that I could come up with in order to say, okay, this has the best chance of survival because we basically got all the components together right. to make it. I guess successful. I'm talking about cigar aficionado. Like, it's oh, not yeah. an opinion by them because right. they took it and measured it. So right. then once they release it, they're trying to tell the audience like, hey, this is worth your money. Correct. This is worth your time. This is worth your investment. Yeah. And, and by the same token, they could say it's not worth your time or not, uh, not worth your money, which has, you know, of course, adverse effects as well. So well, there's always going to be that. But once we apply like the, the measurement or the criteria right. to have it sampled by a, a panel, yes, then we're going, okay, statistically... 80% of the people are going to like this cigar, right? Yeah, um, you could probably I know you say, can't yeah, say you could probably that say that, uh, but but you're kind of doing that, right? Yeah, like, no, and nobody knows what they think. Eight nobody out knows 10 what they're of the looking panelists for. We're like, this is good, great. Yeah. It landed on the top 25, so we know that the greater community is going to love it. Uh, yeah, I, I would hope so. And 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 you know, back then, I mean, they had James Suckling on the palate. You know, Dave Savona was back. Right. Uh, Back on that, um, not palate. They were back on the uh, on, on the tasting panel. Uh, Greg Matola. Do you know who's on the tasting panel? Yes. How many people are on the tasting? I, panel? I think it, at any different time, and you know, don't quote me. It can be anywhere from three to five people. Even Marvin, I believe, still to this day participates on the panel. You know, I think mainly, and, and again, don't quote me on this. It's just you know, from what I've known over the years. But you know, Mar Marvin really, really gets involved. Uh, in the horse race at the end of the year for the top 25 cigar. And, right. And he's, Do you think uh, he's, the top 25 is ever a bot position? No, I don't think so. I mean, I just uh, there's always going to be that, you know, conspiracy out there that right. it, it, it is bot. You know, Marvin doesn't play that game. I mean, Marvin is a self-made man. Marvin is not beholden to anybody out there. Um, and it would just well it would said. ruin his credibility and his reputation if he did that. And I, he is not a man uh, that I, I don't think it's in his in his nature to do that. I, you know, I don't know him personally. I've spoken to him on a few occasions, and I do know the people that that are around him that know him intimately, uh, and they say the same thing. So I have no reason to believe he is not that person who they say he is. So it's not a bot position. 
No, absolutely it's all not. Measured by yes. quality. Yeah, quality consistency. And then it's ranked. Yeah. And let's just let's just call it what it is. The right. ranking is subjective. Yes, it's. You subjective. really can't say right. your cigar. What position did it get? Number the first year it got number seven. So your cigar got seven. So it's definitely better than eight. You can't say that. Yeah, I mean, I think once you get into the top ten, I think it's they're 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 all it's real minor. The, yeah, it's it's you're splitting hairs, and then when yeah. you get into the top three, then it's really. Then you're really splitting hairs. You're smoking hairs. Yeah. some real good cigars, right. is what I'm saying. Yeah, and I've I've had top three a couple of times as well too. So I've never really? cra- I've never cracked number two or number one, but I hope to one day. So top three, baby. I'm, I'm working at Woo! it. I'm working on it. Are you? Is that one of your goals? I think it's everybody's goal in this industry. I think, I think everybody likes to be recognized for what they do. I mean, Absolutely. we work really hard. Affirmation's great. Yeah, I mean, we all like to pat each other on the back, pat ourselves on the back. You know, job well done. And uh, it's just it 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 just uh, it's the fruits of our labor. You know, it really is. And some people get offended. Uh, look, everybody in this industry thinks they make the number one cigar, me included, right? <laughs> <laughs> but. They're their own publication. They have their own criteria. They have their own rules, and it it it's it's dictated by uh, their process and what they do. Right. So, well said. Yeah. And I I thank you for breaking it down for some of the viewers out there that just don't get the process and how it all plays out. Yeah. So now that you kind of are blending cigars instead of selling them, what trials or uh, challenges did you have that really helped you get into this blending process a whole lot better? Well, those trials and those challenges still exist to this very day, right? But um, they were new back then, so they were new, and they, they were they were the yeah. things that you were like, I got to deal with this, right. and now you know how to deal with them. Yeah, so I'm asking, yeah. how did you figure out how to deal with them so that you knew how to get? To the next level. You know, trial and error and just listening. I mean, tobacco has a language and you have to listen to it. And it'll generally tell you what it needs to do and where it needs to go. What kind of language does it speak? Yeah, it, you know, it, it's kind of like... French, uh, Italian, yeah, I Spanish. Mean, music, jazz. It speaks <laughs> classical. I, it's, it's a feeling. It's a universal language, uh, tobacco, to me. because, And once you start un- understanding it, then you start understanding the complexities and the intricacies of tobacco. I mean, tobacco is very truthful. It tells you exactly what it is when you taste it, you know? Does so those, anything else well, uh, act like that too? Uh, or what are your, I don't know. Because that's, re- that's a real powerful statement. Yeah, it tells uh, you what it is right when you taste yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, you can. I think you, could ta- you can say that with food, right? I mean, we all know, look, I can put maybe three different types of tomatoes in front of you. I can put a uh, vine-ripened tomato in front of you. I can put a Roma tomato in front of you, and I can put a uh, heirloom tomato in front of you. All different. They all have a different language. They all say something different, and they're all utilized differently within the context of a dish. And so I think you can... Okay, uh, I get what you're saying now, because each tomato has a different flavor, so then the chef... The blender yeah. gets to say, I want to use this tomato because it goes well with what I got different cooking. T- yeah, different texture, different uh, different um, um, flavor profile. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, I mean, yeah, there's there's specific things for specific dishes you that you would use. Did uh, start recording then? Did you have to write down 
what each tomato was tasting like? Or did you go ahead and just plug that up? Yeah, here? so I pretty much have a talent for useless information. I'm able to, you know, maybe try something and file it away. And then maybe like one or two years later, I can bring it up. And I'm like, you know what? That tastes exactly like what I smoked when I smoked, you know, something. So, uh, or That's taste impressive. something. Uh, I, I'd again, have to write it down. Can, everybody can do it. And Every, I can't remember just, the name. It's like, a, you know, your brain is a muscle. If you just keep using it in a specific uh, in a specific way or a certain context, it, you you can be able if to pull things up. Yeah, I, if I it's know. a muscle and you have to exercise it, right? what's the Dion brain muscle exercise top three? Top three things to do to exercise the brain by Dion. Uh, well, from a tobacco standpoint, it's just uh, repetition. No, general. general just, we're just I, exercise I, in the brain. Yeah, I don't know. What do know. we do on a daily basis to make it go? I, I don't. Well, I guess, uh, uh, you know, I guess. Like crossword puzzles? No, no, like golf maybe, I guess. Golf? For you, it's golf? Yeah, golf is a series of uh, repetitive exercises, right? Trying to keep the swing on plane. Same swing as uh, your 8-iron, your 7-iron, your 5-iron. And just trying to get everything to work together all at once, so that you re it's a re something repeatable, right? And so when you're blending, you want to get to that point to where each blend is repeatable. I think uh, I don't know if that's the best analogy. It's it's a pretty good analogy, but I like it because there's a lot of variables in a golf swing. There is, and so you got to be there able is, to control right. all the variables. Yeah. There's a lot of variables in a blend in a cigar. There are a ton of variables. So you got to be able to control them all, yes, so that you can hit the ball smoothly, yes, so and that that yeah. cigar comes out smooth. Right, and there are a ton of variables that you know in the blending process, in the manu, in in, in the uh, fabrication process on how you put them together, uh, the the position of the leaves within the uh, within the uh, blend itself. Um, the types of tobaccos that are are coming from certain fields that you use some years you may use a a, a particular cutting uh, for a particular component in the blend the next year it might change because of either soil content or or uh, water content or uh, sun content uh, these are all variables that are just constantly in a state of flux and so what you ultimately have to do is just rely on what the tobacco is telling you in order to create a consistent uh, flavor profile and quality uh, product. So, I like it. Yeah. So, golfing can help you learn how to taste cigars and blend cigars better. It, I don't know. It could. We're going out on a limb it here, It could, but I doubt it. Okay. I, I, think, I think it's just, if you're looking at the mechanics of it right right something that's that's you're repeatable. just exercising yeah. the brain to keep all those variables right. in line and yes. learning how to pick up on variables right. that's all we're doing you got to be cognitively aware sometimes you have to change your swing a little bit because you right. know you might go sideways a little bit you might be a little wonky and sometimes it's just a little change you know you instead of holding your wrist one way you hold it another way or uh the steepness of your swing you know something you might be getting too flat in your swing sometimes you might be getting a little too steep same thing with tobacco. Sometimes you got to go up. Sometimes you got to go down. Sometimes you got to go this way or that way. But you have to be able to recognize what's wrong and be able to correct it. And a lot of times, it's it's hard to recognize things that you're doing that are wrong because you think you're doing the same thing every time when you're not. It's completely changed. And 
that's what you really don't want to get into with uh, tobacco because you think you're putting together and doing the same thing, but it's coming out differently, and you have to be able to recognize that and be able to change it. That's where the brain muscle comes in play. Probably, yeah. You're exercising and trying and, to and stretch the it muscle. so that it picks up on yeah. the variables. Yeah, the tongue. The palate muscle is a muscle, too, and you can stress out the tongue. You can stress out the taste buds, Mine's the palate. Mine's a little stressed out. Yeah, and so when you're not uh, maybe when you... You know, when you I go through water. a lot of tobaccos, it, I need like it, a lot yeah. of water right now. Yeah, a lot of water, replenishing the palate. So it, you know, you have to be able to re, uh, to rely on your palate. And once your palate is stressed out, then you have to be able to switch and uh, rely on other parts of your uh, uh, your sensory. You know, like the olfactory, like you know, aroma, burn, uh, everything that goes into it. So uh, there's there's a lot of moving parts. A lot this of moving parts. Smells really good. Thank you, thank you. And it tastes really good. But again, my palate's a little fatigued, but I'm tasting yeah. that great balance. Do you golf often? I do. I try to. I try. Like, give me the Dion schedule of golf for the week. Is it two times a week or is it seven? It could, it could be two times a week. It could, could be six times a week. It really just depends on my workload. Okay. Uh, so usually what I like to do is get into work early. I get into work. I'm up about 5, 5.30 and I get into work about 7.00 in the summertime, which will free me up in the afternoon to play. Other times I'll play. Oh my God, that tastes uh, really good after in the morning. I cooled my yeah. palate. Sorry, oh, no tastes worries. really good. Yeah. The sweetness came in. Yeah. The cigar is now warming up and all those oils and sugars are coming into my palate. Right. That was amazing. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, we'll get to this in just a second. This yeah. is, a, this is actually a, 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 a new project. But anyways, to wrap up, you know, what you were asking about, you know, uh, my schedule, um, you know, I kind of base it around golf, particularly in the summertime, but I, I don't let work suffer. So uh, either I can play in the morning or the afternoon uh, or, you know, I'll work in the afternoon, play in the morning or play in the, you know, play in the afternoon, work in the morning. So um, and summertime, I try and play as much as I can, because in the wintertime, we get a lot of snow and I'm socked in and I'm you can't at work. Play in the wintertime? I, and then I'm at work six days a week. Yeah. Up to, yeah. You don't play in the winter as much? I do. Too I try. Cold? As long as there's no snow on the golf course or if we're traveling, we'll go over the hill to, like, you know, Sacramento and play. But Dion, where do you live? I live in Reno, Nevada. Reno, Nevada. So it's it's warm all summer long. Yeah. Or sorry, warm right now it's all about year 100 long, degrees. roughly. Huh? Right now it's between 95 and 100 degrees in Reno. And in the winter it drops down to the 60s? Uh, in the wintertime it drops down, it could be anywhere from about 18 degrees in the day to about 45 degrees in the winter. Okay. Yeah. That's a little chilly for golf. It's high desert. We're about 5,500 feet up, so it's high desert, really cold at night, really warm in the morning. The, the, Got it. The, the, yeah, the differential between, you know, night and day. I mean, it could be 85, 90 degrees in the day. Then it could be 55, 60 degrees at night. So so you still get that during the daylight hours, you can still get a golf uh, game in. Oh, yeah. In the winter. Yeah, provided if it's a warm day, the sun's out. You know, you can get a 50, 45, 50 degree day, and it's good. In the winter, I'm, I live in Minnesota. So in the wintertime, everyone goes out to ice shacks on a frozen lake to drop a line, a fishing line in a hole right. and try to pull a fish out of it. Yeah. It's some, it's some real good brain energy exercising stuff. I'm actually being real sarcastic because I think it's pretty low on the totem pole of exercises to do for your brain. Sure. But 
it passes the time. And winter's a long time in Minnesota. Yeah, winters are, the older you get, the just the more, I think, mentally taxing and physically taxing winters get, yeah. you know, so... That's why a lot of people move to warmer climates. You know, that's why people move to Florida. You know, because they're just they're tired of putting up with the uh, tired of putting up with the cold. Did you always live in Arizona, or sorry, Nevada? You know Nevada. No, I lived here. I grew up in Las Vegas. You grew up in Las Vegas. Yep. What is it like to grow up in Las Vegas, the, the city that's kind of known for being twenty four seven? Yeah. A lot of stuff to do. Did you feel it? that it was real stimulating or did you feel like it was kind of boring growing up here? Well, I think I think it was just like anybody growing up in, in, in any city. I mean, there was there's a community around the Strip, which largely uh, they don't visit, this, you know, unless they come the to like a nice dinner or a show. The strip. Rarely. Yeah, rarely, this is yeah. tourist touristing stuff. Yeah. So, I mean, other than, you know, when we were kids coming down here for a buffet, you know, like Friday yeah. night buffet. Gotta or, eat. Go to the cheap buffet. Yeah, and then you know there was a time when we'd ride our BMX bikes down here and jump jump our bikes into the Caesar's Palace fountains and cool off. Did you BMX a lot? Yeah, yeah in the desert. Yeah, I was a desert rat. Were you? Yeah. Like, how many of you are out on your BMX bikes? Like two or three guys, or you got like a whole posse of like fifteen? Nah, 15? nah we didn't have a gang. I mean, we you, we weren't a gang of BMX bikes, but you know there were like about three, four, five of us. I think at any given time. I remember when I got my first dyno bike, and I remember just wanting to put pegs on it so I could stand on the back right. and ride around. Yeah, do Papa Wheelies. Yeah, and think I'm super cool. Right. Definitely wasn't. The knobby tires didn't help with the balance, and ultimately, I never went anywhere in BMX. Yeah. But for you guys, you were probably more extreme. Jumping, yeah, doing jumping, some dangerous stuff. Riding around in the deserts on trails. I mean, we grew up on the outskirts of Las Vegas, or what we would consider to be the outskirts of Las Vegas. Now it's, you know, houses go all the way up to Red Rock, and right. you know, you're pretty much in this valley. Everything is going up to the edges of the valley. I mean, we grew up out in the desert. I mean, uh, so the bike as a kid, yeah, is the first vehicle that actually can get you away from the yeah, house. That was our freedom, you know. It's like everybody, you know, everybody when you're a kid, when you get your bike and, you know, you're not just relegated to your neighborhood or, your, you know, your your area, your block, you know, it's like that sense of freedom. It's like why I think why so many people ride motorcycles. It, it just, it's, you're out, you know, you're, you're, you're by yourself. It's that like that truest sense of freedom. What is it about that freedom that makes it so addicting? I don't know. You're going to have to talk to those. Uh, How about for you? I don't know. I, I, I mean, because I, I obviously I don't ride, uh, you know, BMX bikes anymore. Um, but, you know, you talk to guys that ride motorcycles, particularly, you know, my brother, Dominic, you know, he builds bikes. Uh, he's a fabricator. He's, uh, you know, that's his hobby. So um, he's actually a, uh, a fire inspector here in, uh, in Las Vegas. Now, he was a firefighter for years, and now he works for the city, uh, you know, Clark County. So... Uh, but he still builds bikes. I mean, just sent me another picture of his bike today is this, uh, this bike he's working on. He, you know, he builds them and he sells them, and uh, it's, it's pretty cool. So, That's yeah, awesome. you'd probably have to ask him about that. But, I mean, like the truest essence of, of like, that freedom, you're, you'd probably have to talk to a guy that's an avid uh, motorcycle rider. I'm not a motorcycle rider. I did it a little bit, a tiny bit when I was younger, but not to the degree that, you know, my brother or any of these guys that are in, in, in Harley culture you know, Sounds are. like you got some creative genes in the family. Oh. So 
your brother's a bike builder, motorcycle builder. You're a cigar builder. Are there other yeah. builders in the family or creative outlets that no. you recognize? I think we were it. I think, How many I think siblings we were the ones. you have? Just, just one, just a brother. Just the brother. He's, yeah, he's, he's, How about uh, your parents? He's Are two they years creative younger. beings as well? Not really, no. Uh-uh. What'd they do for a living? Uh, so my dad was a uh, operating engineer. He ran heavy equipment here in Las Vegas. Uh, built a lot of things. He built. He helped build Las Vegas. He did. He really did. I mean, he uh, he he laid a lot of the foundations for uh, UNLV when he worked for uh, the companies that he did. I think one of the last things that he did right before uh, he retired was he laid the grade for the uh, the racetrack that's out here. Is there, there's like an Indy 500 uh, racetrack out here or something like sure. that? Yeah, so he, he's the one that set that grade for the uh, racetrack before he retired. That was years ago. Cool. <clears throat> Again, another builder, kind of creative in a different way. Yeah, uh, yeah, just yeah, uh, just he like he moved dirt, you know. So that was his right. thing. That was his canvas. That's his canvas. Yeah. His medium is dirt, and his canvas right. is the land. Right. Very cool. I can see all the creativity kind of coming through. What about your mom? Yeah, so my mom started, uh, you know, when we were younger, she was in uh, the, the food service industry. She really took care of us for most of our life. She was like a stay-at-home mom. Then as we got older, she, you know, she got little jobs here or there. And then there, she went to work uh, as a bookkeeper for a credit collection agency company, one of the oldest ones in the United States. And uh, she grew up through the ranks, and she wound up owning it. She, she owned the entire credit and collection agency. And... Uh, you know, retired from that, sold it off, and so she she's really where I got my my business sense from, or you know, like my, for lack of better words, my math skill. She she really kind of got me in line. And said, you know, Dion, you really have to pay attention to the reporting side of it. Your reports, your income, your expenses, and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, uh, and so that's you know what she got me into. You know, your P and Ls, your your your. Everything that goes with business, you know, inventory levels, profit margins, everything. So she's really good at that. That's awesome. So that makes you a little bit better at running a cigar shop. Yeah. It's, and starting it, your own cigar line. Yeah, it was kind of her passion. It's not necessarily my passion. Uh, uh, you know, like the, the back end, the, the, the details, uh, the back end part of the business like that. You know, this is obviously... Creating, lies, right. blending, creating. <coughs> That's your passion. Correct. Got it. What did you blend and create that we're smoking today? Because now I'm into it. Yeah. And I've had a good chance to kind of taste a lot of the flavors that are coming out of this. So this right here uh, is part of the original documents line. So uh, original documents, Illusione original documents, which is actually... On the table here, there's a couple of things. One, we kind of reimagine and redesign the packaging for Illusioni cigars. Not so far outside to where it's like completely different, but just wanted to get out of the shadows a little bit, still staying on brand and still staying on topic with, you know, what it is that put us here, you know, a little bit on the conspiracy side, a little bit on the, uh, you know, brand imagery. So. The original documents here, streamlined packaging, sizing, all the blends still remain the same. Uh, all the sizes are still included. Uh, we've just included uh, 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 a brand like Ultra, which is now part of the original documents in this one here. So this one is a Habano. I love uh, Illusioni Habano line. And uh, this actually came about 
uh, with a, a guy I've been friends with for years, as everybody has been in this industry, um, uh, Abdel, AJ Fernandez. So he, you know, is like, Dion, you know, when are you going to come make a cigar with me? When are you going to come make a cigar? And I'm like, well, you know, uh, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm really dedicated and really tied to where I'm at right now with Eduardo and his tobaccos. And he's like, well, you know, just come over and, you know, check it out see what you think you know not from nothing just and so i did and over the years i'd worked with uh a, a particular person by the name of uh, alberto padilla uh which uh oversaw a lot of the fermentation over at uh eduardo's operation and uh about five years ago he uh decided to uh go to another job take you know sure uh for you know for whatever yeah, reasons and, and he uh went to work for uh, aj as aj uh opened a new factory so this was a nice opportunity for him to uh step up a little more responsibility you know better position what have you in another organization and alberto was a guy that I worked with side-by-side uh, side for years uh, at the factory, at Eduardo's factory in Nicaragua. And he was the one, again, you know, so as tobaccos came from Jalapa, Esteli, the first thing that I do when I go to Nicaragua is I review the raw materials. I smoke the raw materials. And so he says, Dion, you know, I want you to take a look at these pilones. We just got these in from Jalapa. You know, they're coming along nicely. I want you to smoke them. So... He was very knowledgeable with my with my uh, tobaccos, you know, going back to the original uh, uh, group of people, you know, that worked with Eduardo Fernandez, and many still do to this day. Right. But again, he had intimate knowledge of what I was looking for and what I liked. Got so it. that kind of clicked with me. So as we sat down and we started talking about the olden days and blending with Arsenio Ramos, you know, God rest his soul, which passed away uh, a few years back, um, it really kind of got my creative juices flowing again because again he had that knowledge has that knowledge still to this day of what I look for when it comes to uh, raw materials or tobacco so I said you know what okay let's let's smoke some tobaccos let's you know let's see what you got and uh, you know we came up with a blend and uh, this is the Habano and you know AJ grows wonderful tobaccos of many many of which I really do not uh, still understand but with um, Alberto's expertise and knowing it you know kind of like in the beginning with Eduardo, you know, led me through and he's like, you know, I know you're going to like this tobacco because this reminds me of things that we did back in the day. So we came up with this and this is a, a, a Habano line. It's the truest, I think, expression of a Nicaraguan Habano blend uh, that, that we can do. I just didn't want to slap a Habano wrapper on it and call it Habano because that can be a bit misleading sure, uh, and a bit untruthful. So all the tobaccos that we put in combined with this, I think really is the, uh, the true representation of what a Nicaraguan Habano uh, cigar can be when it comes out of Nicaragua. The sweetness. Yeah. Sweetness, aromatic, it's mild spices. It, it, doesn't, um, it doesn't overwhelm the palate. And right. it falls right in line with Illusione cigars and Illusioni original documents. So this would not come to fruition had not um, all these components were in place and, and uh, this level of trust that I had with uh, Alberto Padilla in the past. So much of like really good things 
really luxurious things or really high-end things, things that just have, that grab your attention, take whoever made them or whom ever made them, multiples, mm -hmm. it takes for them, those people that are the yeah. creators, to have a lot of trust in each other. And it's, a, and it's an expression of our souls. It's an expression of our creativity and what we do. You know, we want to make, we want to make good things. We want to make luxurious things because it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's what you deserve in, in this industry, you know, and it's what, it's, it's what our, it's, it's what our, uh, uh, enthusiasts, our, our cigar enthusiasts deserve. It's and, what the and people that's, want. Exactly. That's my focus is to make cigars that can be enjoyed, uh, universally. I love that. Yeah, thank you. I love that. And still not get away from, you know, the focus of what I want to do personally. Right. Absolutely. So these will be out uh, next year along with the, uh, the refresh of the Illusioni brands. And we're starting to go through and uh, rebrand or reimagine uh, a lot of our current uh, brands within the Illusioni portfolio. Another one we did was the Singulare right here. So a Singulare was originally my limited edition cigar that I would release every year. And then so when August 8, 2015 came around, you know, it came around when the FDA, uh, you know, decided to, you know, quote unquote, regulate us or begin the process. Uh, I wanted to make sure that I had all those sizes and those blends into the market before that date elapsed. So I released all of my uh, Singulare limited editions into the market to have those to use for later. So as years went by, you know, the hardest thing to do is maintain consistency. And some of these tobaccos that I used for my limited edition were very unique. They were very special. And you can have little amounts of them or you can have large amounts of them. So it's, it can be almost chaotic to have eight different sizes and eight different blends and, eight, you know, sizes or whatever in one, in, in, in one thing and, and maintain that consistency. So what I did was I took the spirit and the essence of, of, of one blend that I had within the Singulare releases and I made a Singulare, uh, what's called Singulare Origin line. It's four sizes, a 5x52, 6 and 3 quarter by 48 a six by 56 and a six and three quarter by 48 five five eights by 46 was was the fourth so four sizes encompassing everything that was great about the singulari blend now what i can do is i can go on later and release all those great limited editions to fortify and to complement uh this singulari origin blend which is a uh, uh now a core line uh did a little bit of um uh, uh, imagery, brand imagery and repackaging. There's an owl on there that you can see. And this is the owl of Ramses. Ramses II had a uh, pet owl. And the uh, fable or the lore behind that was, you know, he's holding his, his owl one day and then the owl, the owl slapped him in the face with his wing and then he was banished or punished. So, uh, you know, again, keeping in line with the uh, icon, the icons and the brand imagery fits perfectly into uh, Illusioni cigars, you know, with a little bit of the Egyptian theme, but not quite on the nose, you know, not, you know, yeah. King Touch, you know, uh, <laughs> you know uh, things like that. So it, it has a little bit of that in there, but it, it, it has really uh, incorporated the soul of Illusioni as well. Love that. Dion, if somebody was like me, struggling with being able to taste flavors that are coming out of a cigar, 
do you think it's important to be able to say this tastes like like the sweetness yeah well what type of sweetness right is that important or is it not you know i mean it is but it isn't i mean people know what they like again they just don't know why they like it they like it because it's sweet they like it because it's peppery they like it because it's spicy um but it's the word association game right so like when you hear or when you read articles or reviews about wine you know you get blueberries or cranberry or uh essence of you know forest floor or ship's hull or anxiety whatever right you know whatever adjective that they want to describe you know what it is and again it's 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 all just a frame of reference to bring you into what that particular wine or that cigar is trying to express so um you know there are certain components in cigars that do uh, uh, mimic certain flavors. Now, you know, if you say that something, oh, wow, I get a real hint of dark chocolate. It doesn't taste exactly like dark chocolate. But, you know, you can, you know, take a puff of a cigar and go like that. And then maybe two or three seconds later, it's like, oh, wow, that tasted exactly like uh, like that that. Illy Espresso that I had the other day. It has that same type of earthy coffee characteristic that, that I had. So it's it's kind of like associating, you know, one with another. And it's it's all very, you know, subjective, but it's all very subconscious too. And you're 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 kind of like tying things together uh, and, and just associating things. So, you know, some maybe some things can, you know, some you could taste a taste black cherries. Uh, in, in in a particular blender, you could taste cocoa, or you can taste Christmas spices. You know, something that tastes like a you know. So I've had sometimes I've had a cigar that kind of tastes like you know, like uh, fruitcake. Right. You know, it, it's got those Christmas spices in there. So, does it taste exactly like fruitcake? No, but it kind of the essence of it sometimes reminds you of. Right. Like that fruitcake that you had or like that cup of coffee that you had or, you know, whatever it is. It's just association. And uh, I think that's where really people kind of get into it. Um, I just had an epiphany. Yeah. So instead of me worrying about I taste sweetness, yeah. what type, I think I'm just like okay with I taste sweetness and I like it. It's yeah, blended exactly. well. And that's I don't it. need to go to the next level no. in order to enjoy it. You don't have to get mired down in 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 all that. Because sometimes that prevents you from really just enjoying exactly. it. Exactly, and 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 yeah, that that's it. Because once you you know you go down the rabbit hole, especially as a blender, then you hard yeah to get then there. you start getting into oh I got to change this I got to change that. Sometimes you just have to let it speak and 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 let it uh, just become what it is. And you know what to change, what not to change. If it's too bitter, then there's ways you can fix it. If it's too sweet, then there's way you can ways you can fix that. If it's too spicy, you can fix it. If it's too salty, you can fix it. Um, so, other than that, I mean, going down the rabbit hole. Those are for the people that do reviews. That's it. It can be for me sometimes too, but sometimes I just gotta let it go because if I if I don't let it go, then nothing will ever get made. Right. Well, I think it's important to understand that it's just an expression to try to get you, the consumer, to possibly say, yeah, 
I'd right. like to pick that up and yeah. enjoy that. Yeah, you want to make you want to make a connection. You want to make that 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 emotional connection or that 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 physical connection, that taste sensation, you know, with with it. And, um, you know, that's it. Maybe it comes to how you sell something. Maybe it comes to however you market anything. But it's you know, it's it's all relative. I think that's a wrap. I had a great time sitting here talking to you and understanding. I I kind of called this golfing with Dion. I just went out and had like a golf. You played 18 holes with Dion. I played 18 holes with Dion and I enjoyed every minute of it. And you had a cigar. Every, every hole, every stroke, and then on top of it, traveling to the ball, riding alongside with you inside the cart was just a true honor. Ah, oh, thank you. Again, the top three people that I've always wanted to sit down with and you're one of them. Thank you. So thank that's, you for sitting down with me. That's very kind of you to say. That's another episode of Box Press. Golfing with Dion is a blast. Check out Epernay, or sorry, check out the Epernay because that's my favorite, but check out Illusion Cigars. <laughs>